Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for another mailbag where I answer your hot takes, your questions, your observations, and ultimately your comments on tennis and other things. About 24 hours ago, I posted in the YouTube community tab, got some great comments there. I also tweeted on my Twitter handle, at Gil underscore Gross. And some great topics here as we hit the ground running in the European clay court swing. It is Belgrade and Barcelona week on the ATP tour. Monte Carlo is in the rear view. We have uh, Madrid and Rome coming up. And then we're going to have like this weird lull. We're going to have to twiddle our thumbs and wait for Roland Garros. And I'm not sure how we're going to fill that time. Uh, but maybe we'll just do a lot of mailbags and that's how we'll get through it. Um, in general, I've been really busy. Haven't been able to do these, but I'm looking to ramp up the consistency on the Friday mailbag. Uh, but a lot of exciting things here um, and some really good topics and some good comments. I am excited to get to them. All right, we'll get things kicked off. Sip of coffee and let's go. First question comes from Twitter, at LittleWonder168, big Pass fan. Uh, Steph is on a roll. Predictions for rest of his season. Thoughts on why it all suddenly seems to be clicking for him and how it might or might not translate to other surfaces. All right, let's uh, let's take that one by one. Predictions for the rest of the season. I think he's going to do a lot of damage in the next month. I, I think it it's clear that he's playing some of the best clay court ball out of out of anyone. Uh, it was similar to what Dominic Team was showing us in 2019. Uh, I remember Team won Barcelona, and uh, I just remember he was on a tear. And Nadal was still finding his footing, and it really looked like Team was the best clay court player in the field. And right now, Tsitsipas on the eye test looks like the best clay court player in the field. I think he has the track record to kind of back up the idea that he can keep it up. And that in the next couple weeks, he can make some deep runs. Um, and ultimately, he'll come into the French, and it's going to be about what kind of opportunity might he get. Is he going to get better fortune than Dominic Team has had? What what will be the state of Dominic Team? There will be some uh, a comment on him a little bit later, maybe the next one, I'm not sure, uh, where we'll talk about Team and if he can get back up to where where he's in top form by the French Open. That's going to be very important for the entire landscape of the of the slam. Um, where will Nadal be at? You know, what what Tsitsipas will probably be in a position to do is take advantage of an opportunity if it's presented to him. Uh, but that's something that I think has been true for team over the years and maybe obviously Novak Djokovic for many, many more years. And it's just so happened that you know, Nadal has has gotten up to speed by the second week of Roland Garros, and and it hasn't been in the cards to really go all the way there. Uh, what will happen for Tsitsipas there? Will he take the next step and and make that Slam final? You know, he still has um, he still has things that he obviously has yet to achieve, but but mentally, generally, it's been for all of these next gen guys. We see that you need to take some lumps. You must, you know, you must take your losses, learn, lose, learn, adjust, lose, learn, adjust, experience those emotions, those feelings, and, uh, you know, self-analyze. And that's why I've always had faith that Tsitsipas was eventually going to um, 
become a more headstrong player, become a better, a more match-tough player, and also work on some of uh, the weaknesses that that he has. Uh, the one thing that I didn't see coming is he's really become a dominant athlete, as I covered on last week's Monday Match Analysis. And if you didn't watch it, I will plug it at the moment. Uh, weirdly low, like YouTube just didn't recommend it. I look at the analytics and the, the views are kind of low. If anyone missed that, uh, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Monte Carlo final, breakdown, check it out. Monday Match Analysis last week. Um, but anyway, yeah, I talked about his athleticism. He's become such an amazing athlete. Really, really key on the slow clay court surface. And um, ultimately, I think... I think um, in terms of other surfaces, the, the return's a problem. The, the return is not a problem on clay. It becomes a problem on other surfaces. And the question is, also the defense diminishes, especially on the backhand side. The defense really diminishes. Um, but the question is, you know, can he play first strike offensive tennis on his front foot and serve well enough to kind of still hold serve at a high enough rate to still do well on fast surfaces also after the clay court season, I'm not so sure. I think that his success will 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 take a little bit of a dip after clay court season. I think that that is reasonable to expect. I do think the U.S. Open conditions kind of suit him. I think Wimbledon could be a struggle. struggle. I don't love the conditions in Canada for him, in Cincinnati for him. But but once you hit the U.S. Open, it does slow down a little bit, uh, especially if you get to play a night session. Um, and, and, you know, we'll see what happens. Predictions for the rest of his season. I'll stick with what I said before the season. Number four, number four in the world when we're all said and done, Stefanos Tsitsipas. He's gotten his master's title. I'm not ready to predict that he uh, captures his first major title in 2020. Why does it seem to be clicking for him? Well, one, he finally has his full clay court season. You know, that's huge for him. And last time he had his full clay court season, um, he did great. In 2019, he won Esterol. He made the final of Madrid, lost to Djokovic. He went to the semifinal in Rome, lost to Nadal, no shame in that. And then he lost the five-set epic to Stan Wawrinka. In 2020, he obviously came off that stunning defeat to Borna Cioric, and then he turned around and lost to Yannick Sinner. Uh, then he ended up losing to Rublev in the final of Hamburg, and then went to the semis, Novak Djokovic. I've talked about that match a lot, but mentally was crap in the beginning, and then physically was crap, unfortunately, at the end. Um, and Djokovic won it in five sets. So if you look at the players that he's lost to, Djokovic, Nadal, Vavrinka, Sinner, you know, Rublev, Djokovic, um, this has been very strong for him for, for a long time. But there seems to be an extra layer, and he finally won that Masters title, which was alluding to him. Yes, he had uh, a relatively easier opponent in the final than what he's had to deal with in the past, but also uh, he has slowly but surely fine-tuned his mental game. And what has that looked like? I just think that he has picked up enough experience to understand that not every match is life and death. Not every match is career-defining. And when things go wrong, uh, the world isn't ending. The sky isn't falling. Um, to expand on that, 
when it's break point and he has a midcourt forehand and here's here's a chance. You know, he's got a forehand, middle of the court, it's all set up. He no longer feels like like, oh well, this is my chance. I'm gonna I'm gonna be Wimbledon champion. Here it is. You know, the um, he he seems a lot more level. And in the past, things go wrong, you get a little panic from him. Things go right, he gets a little too excited. I just think he has much more uh, a much more calm, confident demeanor. The effort is always there. The effort is always there. But dare I say, he's toned down the intensity just a little, and it's helped him a lot. Those are my thoughts on Stefano Tsitsipas, probably uh, the story of the clay court season thus far. Let us move on now, and just to keep keep it in mind for those new to the mailbag. I normally spend a lot of time on the first couple questions and then I start to go a little bit faster. Let's go to Michael Neves. Can Dominic Team bounce back from his poor form in 2021? He says he's been struggling with tournament restrictions more than others and commented that he fell into a hole emotionally after winning the US Open. Absolutely. Uh let's dig into this. I think it's important that anyone who follows tennis um, perhaps reads what team said here. Uh, he did a an interview with uh, Dur Dur Standard. Um, I don't. I'm, I'm sure I sound very American when I say that. Uh, but yeah, he did an interview, and um, if you go on my Twitter feed, I, I retweeted an English translation of the interview. Um, so you can check that out. But I do want to read a couple of responses. It's all worth reading. It's all, you know, really team opening up. Really, like, I haven't heard him open up like this. He has not been, he's been a very likable guy on tour. And um, unfortunately, I think the the one thing, you know, where, where you did see his personality was when he got absolutely screwed by, you know, the, the, the media personnel at the French Open when they kicked him out of the press conference at, for Serena. And, and he went, you know, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look up Dominic Team Serena press conference and, and it'll come up. But anyway, in this, this is a much more serious matter and a more somber Dominic Team, and, and he really opened it opened up. And um, obviously, I, I really hope for his sake that uh, he gets to a happier place mentally. Um, so... That's more important than tennis. But let me just read some of this. First of all, kind of the, the news headline from this is, um, he says, quote, there are little problems. Now it's my left knee. Last year during the first lockdown, I had the same thing in my right knee. It didn't matter then because there weren't any tournaments and I had all the time in the world to heal it. It's a congenital, uh, uh, okay, it's a something crease, con congenital crease that comes out in my knees every now and then. The public is just now hearing about it. It takes a few weeks to be pain-free. It's been bothering me since Australia, but it's just a little ache. It'll heal. So uh, that's interesting. Bothering him since Australia. Remember, the foot problem seemed to be an issue against Dimitrov, although um, he also talked about how in his loss to Grigor Dimitrov, uh, part of it was just coming down from the, the high that was the unbelievable atmosphere that he played in against Kyrio. So then he comes out in this sweltering heat with no crowd whatsoever. And it was really hard to kind of get himself going, to, to get the juices flowing and to be motivated in that match, which you could see. I mean, it was a porous performance. You could see there was something wrong with him there. And he opens up about kind of 
what was wrong with him. But let me move on now. I want to go to um, I want to go to some questions about the U.S. Open victory and how winning that title um, affected him mentally. He said. Quote, afterwards, I was in a state of euphoria. The results were still good. I reached the final of the ATP finals in London. But during the preparation for this season, I fell into a hole. We'll see if I can loosen up. I don't know. I hope so. Um, you know, he said, I spent 15 years chasing the big goal without looking to the left or right. As I said, I achieved it under strange circumstances, but that's not so important to me. In a way, some things have fallen by the wayside. My private life, dealing with other things, broadening my horizons. You have to do something for your head, for your brain. There was only tennis, and I want to change that a bit. So team is dealing with something here that I think a lot of tennis players have dealt with. I just don't think he's alone. I think it's common. Uh, you work your entire life. You set out a goal. You achieve the goal. You feel amazing. But then you kind of come down from the high, right? And isn't that kind of, doesn't that make sense? You know, you work 15 years for something. It happens. It's over. Now you look around. Now what? What do I have? You know, now, now what's my purpose? You almost have to re, refine your purpose if you're if you're Dominic team. And you know, Marion Vida, Novak Djokovic's longtime coach, he talked about that after uh, after Novak won the French. Um, Andy Murray, after winning his U.S. Open, I, I think he went on a bit of a slide. Not not horrible, nothing major, but I think he went on a bit of a slide. Um, then. Then he got back on track um, relatively quickly. But um, Roger Federer winning the French in 2009. Look, I don't know if these things are related. I'm just I'm just going to throw out patterns here. Federer won the French in 2009. And that was kind of the end of his monopoly on... Or his duopoly with, with, with Nadal. But his dominance fell off after that. A little bit. It might have, you know, causation is not the same as relation, but let me, I'm just giving you relation here. Uh, this is not uncommon. Sampras fell off after breaking the uh, years at number one record. Uh, he had, you know, he worked so hard to to finish year-end number one for the sixth straight time. And then um, afterwards, it was difficult for him to continue to motivate himself. So now team's dealing with this. He'll get through it. He'll figure it out, but uh, it's going to be a process. It's going to take a long time. The question that that you ask, Michael, is can Dominic team bounce back from his poor 2021 form? He's going to bounce back. I, I have no doubt about it. Um, he needs to kind of rethink, rethink what he plays for, uh, rethink his goals, reset mentally, take a break, um, refresh himself, get healthy. And at some point he's going to have a new lease on life, uh, a brand new perspective, and he's going to go back to the drawing board and, and I, he's going to be great. I mean, I would be, I would be stunned if that didn't happen. The question is the timing. When's it going to happen? Is it going to happen in time 
for Roland Garros or not. Quite frankly, I don't think it's that important. I don't think this is a dire situation, 2021 Roland Garros for him. We'll see what happens. The most important thing is that he he finds uh, he finds what's going to make him happy here, and uh, and he figures that out. All right, 16 minutes, two questions. Jeez, Gil. All right, I'm going to pick it up here. Next one from Ali Patton, 2021. Uh, Rublev lost. Do you, do, Ali, do you change your handle every year? That's, that's, I like that. Um, all right. Rublev lost in the final of Monte Carlo and then in the semifinal versus Hercatch in Miami. There are other instances, uh, but what is stopping him from getting over that line in order to claim the biggest titles? He seems to be king of the 500s, but sometimes falters in the bigger events. Yeah, so originally I would tell you, well, you know, Rublev isn't really beating the best, the very elite tier on a consistent basis. He's kind of feasting on the lower tier. Um, I actually don't think that's true is the only thing. And um, I think that if I've peddled that narrative, there might be a little bit of truth to it, but I think it's... Uh, it's mostly wrong. Since 2019, Andre Rublev is five and four against top five opponents, and obviously his most recent top five win is over Rafa Nadal. So um, I almost want to amend that. Uh, I don't really think that Rublev has a problem beating the elite players as much as I I may have thought he did. But I think there's a general narrative in all of tennis that Rublev doesn't beat the best players; he only beats the players that he, he's supposed to beat. It's not really true if you look at it. What is true is that he's not playing great in the in the biggest events. And I think similar to Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, Rublev kind of got off to a late start later than Tsitsipas. But I think um, similar to Tsitsipas, he needs to take his lumps here. He needs to he needs to lose big matches before he can win mat big mat matches. It's not uncommon. Uh, when he became the favorite in Miami, mentally, he did not handle that match well against Hercotch at all. The wind was gusting and he was frustrated from after the first two points of the match. And I think he was foggy-headed. I think he was trying to make it too good. Uh, he felt like he was playing horribly when he wasn't even losing yet. And I, I just think that mentally he was very, very high-strung in that match. Um, and he needed to go a little bit easier on himself and understand that there were going to be some nerves, accept it, there's going to be wind, except that you're not going to play a perfect match. But Rublev seemed to be battling himself the entire time. Um, I do think that in the match against Tsitsipas, I don't think there's much he he could have done. I thought I thought he was he was going to be outplayed there with the way Stefanos was playing, the level that he brings on clay, um, and perhaps there was some fatigue factor coming in there as well. I know he just lost in um, he just lost to Sinner. He's got to be tired. He's really he needed he needs to reset. He's playing he's played way too much tennis. Uh, it's probably a good thing that he lost to a center because that loss was going to come eventually early in a tournament. Um, I'm not concerned about Rublev yet in the big events. I think uh, it's good experience for him. I think um, the Miami situation was the first time that I think he felt real high end pressure. And I think that's a good thing for him to feel. He'll be better next time out. Next one is from Nomo Perea. Federer and Nadal have a better forehand and net play than Djokovic. Do you think that 
that will make it too hard for Novak to play shorter points? Or do you expect his serve return dominance being his way to combat age? Serve return dominance is going to help a ton. A ton. And that was kind of the big takeaway that I had after Australian Open 2021, that, that Novak's serve was at this incredible level, right? Uh, with that being said, it's not going to help him much on clay. So I continue to see a pattern, and I think I've pointed this out since 2019, if not since 2018, that I believe that Joke the gap between Djokovic's level on the quickest surfaces versus the slower surfaces continues to widen and widen and widen and widen. And this would explain it because on the faster surfaces, uh, you don't really need, you don't need that extra um, power on your forehand and you don't need that extra ability to finish points at the net um, on quicker surfaces. Djokovic's forehand, it, you know, he can he can hit through center court at Wimbledon with it. He can do damage with it from well behind the baseline on center court at Wimbledon. It's on center court at the French Open where he's going to get neutralized a lot more often by his opponents, right? Um, that's why that that initial battle for who's going to be on the front foot, who's going to start the point better. That initial battle is a little bit more important on the quicker surfaces than it is on the slower surfaces where oftentimes, well, you can, um, you know, the server might start with the advantage, but that advantage is much more easily neutralized or reset, or even that offense is turned into defense a lot easier on the slower surfaces. So my short answer to this is I think serve return dominance is a, is a totally fine way for Novak to combat his age. It's just not going to work really on clay as well as it'll work on grass and the quicker hard courts. Uh, obviously, uh, another part of that is just the serve. The return on investment is diminished on on hitting your serve big on clay. So uh, that that tool, it's gonna it's gonna be helpful, just not quite as much on clay is what I would say to that. Next one from Dridribin Seven. How do you explain Nadal's current level, more precisely, of service? It seems worse than twenty nine in twenty nineteen. What do you think about it? Losing to Fanini team and Tsitsipas is one thing, but being in trouble against Ivashka and Nori is another. Well, I do want to point out that he's not losing. You know, he look. I understand. Really shaky match against Ilya Ivashka. Really shaky. Uh, Nori got complicated in the second set. These are not. You know. Nadal should be handling those players a little bit easier. Uh, you know, you won't find any argument from me there. Um, but like, a win is a win. He's doing what he needs to do. And the one thing I'll point out is this. Nadal, after the Nori match, trained. He trained after the Nori match. After winning match point... He turned to his box. I've seen him do this before. He turned to his box and he said, hey, let's keep hitting. And that's telling that's telling his coach uh, or someone on his team, hey, go get go get us a practice court. I'm not done here. I know I just played a, a, a match and I won the match, but I need to keep hitting. I need to keep training. I think Rafa kind of relishes this role. Now, look, what 
don't get me wrong. Would he rather be rolling through the field, having no trouble, feeling great? Yeah. But if anyone, if anyone on tour is going to relish the process of working through the kinks and just trying to kind of get through the rough patches, and I think the serve has been pretty bad, the backhand has been pretty bad, and the even even the movement and the, the footwork has looked a little bit inconsistent. You know, all those things, if anyone is going to want to embrace the process of going into the garage and sorting these things out as clay court season progresses, it is Rafa Nadal. You know, uh, he didn't look great in 2014, was never at his best, still managed to win the French. I don't think he's the same guy athletically than he was in 2014. So he, he needs to be more fine-tuned uh, in order to win. Uh, but then, you know, obviously last year, he, he had nothing coming in. He had a loss to Schwartzman where he, he couldn't serve at all. He, he had nothing. Um, and remember also that you have the first week of the French to play best of five set matches to get a day in between. A lot can happen in that process. We are still way off from the French Open. It's not really coming up anytime soon. And uh, I wouldn't be too concerned about Nadal yet. Let's go to Andrew Torres. Excited by Roger's decision to participate in the clay season. Would you consider it surprising considering such a short turnaround for Wimbledon? I don't think there's any other option for Federer here. So, so no, I'm not surprised. Uh, Federer is going to play Geneva, Switzerland, uh, which is two weeks before the French Open, and then he will play the French. That'll be his clay court season, and then it'll be to grass. And no, I'm not surprised. I thought it was the only decision that he could make. Let me take a sip of coffee here. You know, in 2017, Roger Federer didn't play clay, and it worked for him. But there's such a massive difference, such a humongous difference between winning the Australian Open, winning the Sunshine Double, and then going to play grass court season versus uh, not playing at all. You know, coming in with a, a loss to Nicholas Basilashvili in, uh, what, Dubai? Like, you can't just expect to be competitive um, on, you know, zero match play. So uh, I, I thought that in 2019, I know, I, I know you've heard me say this a bunch of times, 2019 playing clay helped Federer. Uh, just to for him to feel uh, the the real match pressure, play in front of a crowd, problem solve against opponents, win match points, you know, get through matches, uh, get used to focusing for three hours at a time. I know that sounds silly, but you need to practice that. Even if you're Roger Federer, you need to get those repetitions in. Uh, the fact that Federer played that clay court season, played well, by the way. And uh, I thought drew some confidence from uh, drew some confidence from it as well. I think now Federer's looking to do the same thing. I don't think he wants. I don't think he needs to win Roland Garros. But if he's going to get through the first week, if he is going to win, I don't know one, two, three, four best of five set matches at least. That is going to be a positive experience for Federer going into grass court season. So I think that it's a no brainer decision for him 
to play the French Open, even though Wimbledon is only two weeks after the conclusion of Roland Garros this year. I just, it's not ideal. That part is not ideal, but there's no other decision to be made. You don't want to go into grass season with absolutely zero match play under your belt. Next comment is from Salamence Hydrogen. Hydrogen. If you were allowed to change one rule in the ATP, which one would it be? I don't get let's. I don't need let's. I don't. They seem very artificial to me. Or no, not artificial. Arbitrary. They seem arbitrary. What is it about the serve? That makes it so that the net is not in play. Every other shot in the net is in play. I just don't understand lets. So I don't need them. I would like for lets to not be a thing. I don't understand them. Serve clock, though. Let me talk about serve clock. It feels to me like before there was a serve clock, the time rule was was stupid because there was no transparency. It was up to the chair umpire's discretion. I, You know, that left... Uh, human biases to really fester in the calculations of what is a time violation and what is not a time violation. But to make it, to make it what it is now, um, it's gone the other way. There's not enough time, not enough time. And what I want is an experiment. I want to see if you gave the players 40 seconds, which is plenty, which is too much time. Would players abuse it and use the entire 40 seconds, knowing that 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 they can see 40 on the clock? They could. Um, right now, though, it's not good because after long points, players can't really catch their breath. And it's like, it, it's kind of a distraction because it's like three, two, one, serve. And that's, that's stupid. I don't want to be thinking about the serve clock before a big point in a big match. Um, so I would like them to, I, I look again, it's all about experimentation. I would like them to change it to 40 seconds and see if that slows down the matches. If it does back to the drawing board, I don't know, maybe go back to, uh, maybe go back to 25 in that case. Uh, but if it doesn't, then, then that would be great. So. All right, let's go to Jeff Brandt. Gil, two questions. First, how close to the to the French Open before you lock in an Nadal pick at a rate as high as 75% or more to win it again? Uh, second, could you share more about your own experience in tennis? At what levels of the game did you play and for how long? Uh, Nadal question? I, I won't lock in a pick until I've seen it all. You know, 2019, I don't want to make excuses for myself here, but Nadal had such a, a, a shaky start to the clay court season. And then I, I had a really busy week, the week of Rome didn't, couldn't watch as much as I wanted. And uh, that's when Nadal really found it. Um, but I kind of had an idea going into Rome that I thought Djokovic was playing a little bit better. And I didn't really adjust based on Rome like I should have. And I, I, I went with Novak that year. If And I said if he could go through team because I, I thought that might get tricky, and it did. And he never got through Dominic team that year. Uh, but but that's what happens when you lock in the pick too early in your mind. I kind of had an idea going into um, or, or after Madrid, which was too early. 
and and it burned me. So I will wait until after Rome. I will. There will, there will not be a pick in my mind until afterwards. And then I might have to see the draw. So my tennis experience, um, I knew from, a, from very early on that tennis was not going to ultimately be what I want to do in life. Um, I knew that from a pretty early on that I wasn't even going to play tennis in, in college because I, I wanted to go to a big school with high major uh, power five athletics so I could cover it. And, uh, you know, I, I knew I, I wasn't going to play tennis um, at the college level either from, from very early on. So that kind of dictated how I went about things. I trained at a very high level. Um, I thought I got world-class coaching every summer, uh, five days a week. Um, I trained. So I played a ton of tennis. It was a huge part of my childhood. I just never really um, did enough tournament play or tournament travel to actually figure out how good I was. So I would love to tell you this was my UTR. This was my, you know, I was a two-star. I was a three-star. Um, I'd love to tell you these things. I didn't play enough to figure any of those things out. Um, so yeah, I was like a, I was like a really hardcore training guy, but not a competing guy. I don't, I don't know. That's just how my, my tennis childhood was. Um, and then obviously I played in high school. I barely lost in high school. I was on a, a really good team. Uh, I finished with a 32 and two record. Um, and I was like all step section, all County pretty much every year, but the level in high school tennis, um, isn't great. So that's that. <laughs> um, all right. We're at 33 minutes. Let's wrap this one up with Jose Marino. Why, uh, why most of the players are not willing to gr actually two more questions, guys. Uh, second to last one from Jose. Why most of the players are not willing to grind with Novak and instead they choose aggressive strategies that just give up unforced errors to Novak. I don't have that much to say on this, to be honest. I mean, if you're referring to a guy like Yannick Sinner, uh, he just doesn't have that other... He is who he is, basically. And that's probably the case for for most of these situations. Uh, it does take a certain level of player to uh, and a certain style of player to be able to grind with Novak. I think this comment comes from a place of seeing the difficult matches that players like Daniil Medvedev, uh, Roberto Bautista Agut, Pablo Carreno Busta, um, some of these players who have been really willing to dig in physically with, with Djokovic have given him really difficult matches. And I think the reason Jose asks this question is, well, why doesn't everyone do that? Look, not everyone has the skill set that PCB, RBA, Medvedev at, at a very high level. M most players don't have that skill set, so they can't be who they're not just because they're playing Novak. I think a lot of players try to transform themselves against these these big three players uh, because they feel like, oh, I have to do this or I have to do that. But if you're playing out of your wheelhouse, you're not going to reach a high enough level uh, in the first place to, to actually get it done. So that's my answer. All right, a long one from Karen Montgomery. We will end it here. Um, something I've recently pondered. Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic all got to play an opponent that they were better than in their first Grand Slam finals. Federer beat Philippoussis to win Wimbledon 2003. Nadal defeated Puerta to win the French Open 2005. Although, side note here, editor's note, he did have to beat Federer in the semis. 
Djokovic bested Sanga to beat uh, to win the Australian Open in 2008. Since the the player they defeated in the final, uh, they were superior to. They had a greater chance to win, and in doing so, avoided the quasi mental block of Murray and team in their first several finals after losing their first one. Due to this, I believe Dominic Team, the fantastic player he's developed into 2017, really deserved to take on Zverev in the U.S. Open final to get himself over the slam hump because he had to play three slam finals against players better than him before that. Also, in my opinion, Team has had much tougher competition uh, to take on than the big three did to claim their first slams. What's your take on that? My take on that is that is a great take. Thank you, Karen, for outlining the reason why anyone who tries to take anything away from Dominic Team and his achievements in the 2020 U.S. Open, lifting the trophy on that unique and strange fortnight, anyone who tries to take anything away from Dominic Team is way off the mark. So my take on that is good take, Karen, on the money. All right, let's get to the second uh, part of this comment. Uh, let's not kid ourselves about Nadal having underwhelming lead-ups to the French Open. In 2018, the only clay tournament he lost was to Madrid uh, to, to team in 2019. He was coming off another injury in Indian Wells and was feeling depressed, like he said he never has before in his career until Rome, which he still managed to win. In 2020, there was barely a clay season, and he hadn't played in over six months. So please... Nadal taking time to work his way into the clay court swing isn't a thing. This is really the first time we've ever seen it. Well, you're giving me reasons here, right? You're giving me reasons. I can give you a reason this year. He's been injured. He had the back injury. He didn't play Miami for a reason. Did he have a training block? Yeah, but he didn't come into... Uh, he hasn't had good health at the early stages of 2021. Uh, he had to take some time off, so... Just like you can give me a reason for 2019 that he was coming off an injury at Indian Wells, um, you can give me a reason for Rome that there was a pandemic and there was barely a clay season. Well, I can still give you an injury for, for this time. So um, I would push back on that. I would say, no, we have seen this before. We're seeing Nadal struggle early on in clay court season like we've seen before. There is an explanation. It's not completely out of the blue, but it is what it is. He's got plenty of time to work himself back into form. He's pretty much been able to work himself back into form every single time we have seen this movie before. And now we'll see if he can do the same thing again. I don't think that there's much reason to think that uh, he wouldn't be able to. All right, guys, uh, this has been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do, as I did, rather. Uh, remember that Monday Match Analysis, including the mailbags, is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. That means uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps me, uh, gets attention to the podcast. Uh, remember to follow me on Twitter at Gil underscore Gross. One of the reasons is that you can uh, comment for these mailbags if you miss the community tab. Um, and with that, I'll say goodbye. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I will see you next time.